verses 14 through 18. This is uh, what Paul has to write to the believers there. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, um, we thank you for the beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for the privilege we have to gather together as the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to fellowship together, but most of all, to worship you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that as we look into your word, that our hearts would be receptive and open to what you have for us today. So speak to us through your word, through your spirit. May our lives be changed because we've been here today. We will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to take a little break from the book of Acts and uh, take a moment to have uh, a look at a Thanksgiving sermon. And it's one of my favorite passages, a very practical passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. Uh, because number one, it's probably the least commercialized holiday, um, other than maybe commercials for, uh, you know, buying food for your Thanksgiving meal. It hasn't been commercialized, but it's also because it's biblical. Uh, it's a biblical holiday. And not only should we give thanks on uh, Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving week, but as we're going to see, uh, Thanksgiving should characterize our entire, uh, our entire lives. So this morning, uh, we're going to think about four daily decisions to develop an attitude of gratitude, and it's right from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Think about how many decisions you make every day. Uh, some of them very uh, conscious decisions, other choices that we don't even think about. But we make hundreds of decisions every day. The decision to get up, the decision of uh, what attire to wear, uh, the decision of what we're going to eat and what our work day looks like. What are we going to do with our discretionary time? Uh, we make hundreds of decisions a day. But maybe the most important decision or one of the most decisions has to do with our outlook or our attitude. I'm sure you've heard this quote from Dr. Charles Swindoll. It's been around for a long time, but uh, here's what he has to say. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude in my life. Attitude to me is more important than facts, more important than the past, education, money, circumstances, failures or successes, more important than what other people think, say, or do. Life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. Attitude is everything. Well, this morning we're going to think about some attitudes, some choices that we need to make from First Thessalonians chapter 5 and um, uh, think about what God would have for us as far as choosing uh, the correct attitude. So First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, if you have your Bibles turned there, we're going to begin in verse 15. And if you noticed in that scripture reading, uh, there were some comprehensive words in each verse. In verse 15, the word always. In verse 16, the word always. In verse 17, the word continually. In verse 18, the word all. These passages that we're going to look at, verses, they're not suggestions. 
They're in the imperative mood, which means they're commands. And then Paul says, I want you to do this not just when you feel like it. I want you to do this all the time. And so uh, we're going to look at these four daily decisions to develop an attitude of gratitude. And why are these so important? Why is this passage so very practical? And the reason is this. And you've all discovered this as we journey through life. We are all going to face challenges in life. We're all going to face difficulties in life. We're all going to face tribulations in life, and that should come as no surprise to us. Job chapter 5, verse 7, Job says, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, In this world you will have trouble. And he gives us some encouragement, doesn't he? But take heart, I've overcome the world. Peter, writing to believers who were undergoing persecution from the emperor Nero in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come to test you. That was a literal trial because Nero took Christians and set them afire and used them as torches to light his gardens. And so trouble should not be a surprise to us. Trouble is life in a fallen world. Someone has said we're either coming out of a trial in the midst of a trial, or there's a trial right down the road. I don't say that to be pessimistic. That's life in a fallen world. James chapter 1, verse 2 talks about many kinds of trials, many kinds of challenges that we face. Um, I put trials in a number of categories. They all start with the letter F, and I think in general... We face trials in these categories. Number one, fitness, or by that I mean our physical health. And uh, eventually we'll all face trials of, of challenging uh, health situations in our life. Number two, family. Um, just our, our own family or our extended family. You got some circumstances and some challenges going on in your extended family? Welcome to the club because it's a part of life. Faith. Sometimes people go through a trial of faith, questioning their faith. And if God loves me, why would he allow this to happen to me? The trial of finances, the trial of the future, wondering what God has in store for us. So this morning, very quickly, we're going to take about 20 minutes and uh, look at four decisions that we need to make that will help us develop an attitude of gratitude And here's the first one. Choose to leave revenge to God. That's verse 15. Paul says, choose to leave revenge to God. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Now, the Bible doesn't say don't seek justice. We we need to seek justice. But the Bible says don't get involved in revenge. I'll admit to a problem I probably had for uh, a number of years in my driving. My wife will attest to this. I'm on the freeway. (laughs) I'm on the freeway, and somebody cuts. They're on my tail. They pass me, and then they cut me off, and then the speed up. And that would make me very angry. And Diane would then say, why are you speeding up? 
because I wanted to get right on their tail and do the same thing to them. It took me into my 40s to get over that habit, by the way. I realized the silliness of that. That's just a a small example, but God says over and over in Scripture, leave revenge to God. Here it is. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what is to do right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, here's a quote from the Old Testament, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so don't waste your time with revenge because revenge leads to all sorts of other problems and bitterness. There's an interesting verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's last epistle that he wrote. And he actually calls out a name of an individual who did him some harm. We could all make lists uh, this morning of uh, people who, from our perspective, did, did us wrong. Uh, I could make that list. You could make that list. And Paul had a person on that list. His name was Alexander the coppersmith. Here's what he has to say. Alexander the coppersmith did me a great deal of harm. He doesn't say what he did. He says he did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You see what Paul did? is that I'm going to turn him over to God. Because ultimately, God is the judge. And God, who is the judge of all the earth, Genesis 18.25, will do what is right. Now, I want us to notice the second part of the verse here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, where Paul writes, uh, don't get involved in revenge. But then he goes on to write in the last part of verse 15, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So don't get involved in paying back evil for evil, but where are we, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to focus on doing good. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 describes uh, believers of the challenges. You need to be eager to do what is good. And so we need to focus on um, trying to do good to each other and to other people. Well, what does that look like? Well, this is an example of of it right here in in front of me on both sides of the pulpit. Um, This is an example right here. Uh, Change your world. Uh, Serving people, praying for people, uh, serving in the church. Look for opportunities to do what is good. Here's John Wesley's famous quote, Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. And so choice number one is to let God choose to leave revengeance, vengeance to God. Let's look at choice number two, and it's here in the text in verse 16. Uh, Paul says, rejoice always, rejoice always. I don't know what your definition of joy is, and we all know that there's a distinction between happiness and joy. Happiness depended on circumstances. Joy rises above the circumstances, regardless of our circumstances, and it's a choice. It's not based on feelings. It's a choice of faith that we make. Can you experience joy 
even when you don't feel the emotion of joy, and I think you can. Think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where the author of Hebrews is writing about Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. And then it says in verse 2, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus experienced joy when he faced the cross. Was he looking forward to the pain and the agony of physical agony of the cross? No. What was he looking forward to? What it was going to accomplish? Your salvation and my salvation and the salvation of uh, paying the sin debt that we owed. And so you can have joy in spite of circumstances, and it is a choice, and all we have to do is read the book of Philippians, the joy epistle, written from a prison cell. And Paul says, hey, the things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm in prison, but I've been able to to share the gospel with the the Roman guards, and some of them have come to to faith in Christ, and other believers hearing that I'm in prison and I'm sharing the gospel are now sharing the gospel, and more people are coming to faith in Christ, so I'm going to choose joy. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And so the choice of joy... Words mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. The word rejoicing is there 74 times. It is all through the book. And we need to be joyful. Some of you know I've had a pen pal for probably 30 years now. His name is Steve. He's in Jackson Prison. And uh, Steve's been in prison for almost 30 years. He's serving a life sentence. His life's been changed because uh, early on in his incarceration, he found what true freedom is, forgiveness in Jesus. And so for 30 years, although we had a gap in time where we kind of lost track of each other because he was moved all through the prison system, and then we got kind of back on track, but uh, we've exchanged uh, letters maybe, uh, maybe three, four, five Times a year, Steve sends a uh, quarterly gift to our church from the money that he earns in prison. Steve, although he'll never set foot in this church, considers our church his church home. So I got a letter from him this week, and he's, we're just ex- catching up on what's going on <clears throat> on each other's lives. Let me read you the last paragraph of the letter. It's very short, but it drives home this point. I hope you and the church family have a wonderful Thanksgiving this year. Now listen to this. I know mine will be due to what our Lord Jesus Christ did for me and has promised to me. Did you catch that? He's going to have a wonderful Thanksgiving, not based on his circumstances because he's in prison. He is going to have a great Thanksgiving based on what Christ has done for us and the freedom that he knows uh, in the forgiveness that uh, Jesus has. He says, so please greet the church family on my behalf. Love to all, Steve. Well, choose to leave revenge to God 
Rejoice always. Here's the third one. Uh, my translation, which is the NIV, says pray continually. Some of the translations say pray without ceasing. And so here's the third choice, the daily choice that we have to make, that prayer needs to be a daily and integral part of our lives. This is all through Scripture. And uh, what are some of the, 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 the weapons that we have in Ephesians chapter 6 in, in spiritual warfare? Because there's an enemy out there who wants to discourage us, divide us, and um, just get us off track. And when you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 talks about the shield of faith. It's faith, belief in God's promises, just what Steve wrote about. It's the uh, resource and weapon of God's word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But then in verse 18, he says what? Praying always, praying always. And so the, the third choice that we have to make is that we need to pray regularly. Earlier this week, our grandson Luke, and I don't know what, we were sitting around the dinner table, I don't know what brought this question about, but a nine-year-old Luke asked the question of Diane at the dinner table, do you pray for me? Interesting question for a nine-year-old. Do you pray for me? And the answer was, Luke, I pray for you every day. I pray for you every day. Uh, God wants us to have prayer as an integral part of our life. James 5.13, is anybody in trouble? What's the first thing we need to do? Let them pray. Boy, Jonah was an example of that, wasn't he? He was, he was running from God as far as he could. What happened when he got into trouble? Well, you can read Jonah chapter 2, records his prayer from the belly of the great fish. Uh, we need to pray, yes, when we're in trouble, but God wants us to pray regularly. First Timothy 2 talks about praying for those that are in authority and kings and those that rule over us and praying for all, all um, believers. We look at the book of Daniel and we see that Daniel prayed regularly three times a day. And even when they passed a law forbidding a pray to any other God, it did not change his pattern at all. Got him in a bunch of trouble, but God delivered him. The Psalms, most of the Psalms are prayers. And so uh, praying regularly, developing a regular lifestyle of prayer. And so four decisions, choose to leave revenge to God, rejoice always. Number three, pray regularly. Here's the last one. Decision number four, here's our Thanksgiving challenge. Remember to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Many people that say, I, I, I wish I knew what God's will was for my life. Well, here's one that's really clear. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, this is, a, uh, this is not Christianity 101. This is a graduate-level challenge for Christians to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, we need to unpack that a little bit so we can understand it a little better. But in order to give thanks in all circumstances, we must understand and know the character of God. 
the more we know God, the more we can trust him. When I was in seminary, I worked in a, a painting business for four years. Um, my boss that um, I worked for was a fellow that was also going to seminary. He was quite a bit older than I, uh, has married and had a couple of children. And um, we worked together and went to school together. So we spent a lot of time in his house. And I remember being there one day, and uh, Louis is his name. His son's name was Adam. And uh, Adam is up on uh, top of the refrigerator, uh, standing on the top of the refrigerator, not a highly recommended thing. But uh, Louis, I'm setting up there, and then he's like opening his arms. He goes, come on, Adam, jump. <laughs> now, it makes no sense to jump off the top of a refrigerator unless there's somebody that's standing there with open arms that you can trust that's going to catch him. And without hesitation, Adam jumped off of the top of that refrigerator into the arms of his loving father. And so in order to give thanks in all circumstances, we need to understand and know who God is. And the more we know God, the more we can trust God. So here's what Jerry Bridges writes in his book. I've shared this on previous occasions. Uh, It's called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. In order to trust God, we must always view our adverse circumstances through the eyes of faith, not feelings. In the area of adversity, the scriptures teach us three essential truths about God, truths we must believe if we are to trust him in adversity. Number one, God is completely sovereign. Number two, God is infinite in his wisdom. Number three, God is perfect in his love. If we were to paraphrase that, we'd say God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. And so the scriptures say, give thanks in all circumstances. Now notice it doesn't say, and prepositions are important, to give thanks for all circumstances. It doesn't make sense to just say, well, thank you, God, for this challenging, difficult thing that I'm facing right now but we can give thanks in the circumstance of knowing who God is and that God has a purpose for our pain. I think that's kind of what helps um, in the childbirth process (laughs) for women. This is painful, but there's a purpose to it and there's a reward. And so the Bible says we can give thanks even in difficult, painful circumstances This is counterintuitive to our natural human response when difficult things happen. But let me just share in closing a a couple of reasons why we can give thanks even in in pain and difficulty uh, from the lens of Scripture, some truths of God's Word that can help us. Because God uses trials and pain to develop our character. God uses trials and pain to develop our character. James chapter 1 that familiar uh, portion that we, of Scripture we referred to earlier says, whenever you face trials, consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? you got to know something. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance will finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, lacking nothing. 
Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He says, after you have suffered a little while, he's writing to persecuted believers, God will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And so the old saying is, there's no testimony without a test. And so when we go through trials, what is God doing? God is developing our character, refining our character. Secondly, God uses trials and pain to make us more spiritually productive. That's John chapter 15 in that parable of the true vine and the branches. And what's the, what's the, the husbandman, the gardener doing? He's pruning the branches. It's a painful process. Why? So that you'll be more fruitful. And oftentimes God allows pain and trials in our life. And what's he doing? He's pruning our lives Because he wants us to bear fruit for him. And he wants us to be more fruitful and increasing in our spiritual productivity. Thirdly, God uses pain and trials to develop sympathy and compassion and ministry in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So we're going through troubles. We experience God's compassion and comfort, but there's not a period there. The verse continues on, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So when we go through a trial, when we go through a difficulty, and God brings us through that, guess what? It opens up a whole door of ministry. Because all of a sudden, God brings into our pathway people who might be going through similar circumstances. And what can we do? We can have compassion on them, and we can effectively minister to them and encourage them. And I've seen that happen time and time again. Number four, God uses trials and tribulations and pain in our life to give us an eternal perspective to give us an eternal perspective. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And so God uses trials and God uses difficulties in our life to sometimes get our eyes off of this world and the stuff of this world that eventually is all going to fade away and to get our focus on Jesus, to get our focus on our eternal glory and to get our focus on what really matters. And of course, that's the eternal things. Lastly, God uses pain and trials to prepare us to eagerly anticipate our heavenly home. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, We've got an election, big election year coming up in 2024, and that's going to consume our thoughts, and it's going to consume the news media 
But we need to be reminded where our true citizenship is as believers in Jesus, and it's not in this world. We're simply strangers. We are simply pilgrims making our way through this world. Our ultimate destination, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And so Paul writes at the end of 2 Timothy, I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me a reward, a crown of righteousness when I get to heaven someday. How do we get ready to eventually uh, enter into our heavenly home? It's usually through uh, trials, physical pain, physical challenges. And God prepares us to leave this world to arrive in our true heavenly home. Well, four daily decisions that we need to make every day, not based on our feelings, but on faith, to have an attitude of gratitude every day, to leave revenge in God's hands, to choose joy, to pray all the time, and to give thanks in everything, because we know that we have a sovereign, all-wise God, all-loving God, that's in control of our lives. And as we do that, we'll be able to have Thanksgiving, not just uh, on Thursday, the fourth Thursday of the month or Thanksgiving week. We'll have an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving every day of our life. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we've heard it sung about your goodness. And Lord, intellectually, we know that you are a good God. The scriptures tell us that. But Lord, sometimes we are challenged with that goodness when we go through the stuff of life, when we go through painful trials and painful circumstances. And Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning that when we go through those areas of challenge in our life, whether it be with our family, our fitness, our faith, our future, Lord, that we can trust you. Lord, help us to choose joy. Help us to pray regularly and help us to give thanks in everything because you are a good, good God. And so we ask your blessing on our lives today. Thank you for the opportunity just to close our service this morning around the Lord's table and remembering and giving thanks for your ultimate gift and sacrifice to us, the person of Jesus. And we will thank you in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.